take your Bibles, take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 8, please. Romans chapter 8. I want to preach a sermon today that is titled, Satan's Fiery Dart of Doubt. That's different than what's at the top of your bulletin or what you may have received in an email. But when we look at this passage today and even this morning, I thought that really is a wonderful way of summing this up. Satan's Fiery Dart of Doubt. And then if I could ask you to prepare uh, just a little bit, we're going to sing a song at the close of our message today, and it's before the throne of God above, which is familiar to many of us. And it really does a great job in song of talking about what we have in Jesus Christ and also what we face in our accuser, the devil. I would like to start by some participation from you, getting some help uh, from you. And I want to find out a little bit more about you. I'm going to ask you if which one of these things you are. Do you like surprises or do you like predictability? So think about that for a moment and I'll have you raise your hands. How many of you would say you like surprises? Raise your hand and hold it up. All right. Okay, all right, put your hand down. Okay, how many of you say you like predictability? Raise your hand. Okay, a few more. A few more enjoy the predictability than the surprises. I know how my wife voted. She does not like surprises. So, um, unless she knows it's coming. If she knows it's coming, then she's okay with a surprise, (laughs) is what she's told me. When we look at our world, there are many people who like certain things to be predictable. There are certain people that when they approach something, they just like to know what's coming. They're very comfortable with that. This has made its way into some of our media these days. I shouldn't say these days. I should say over the years. Because one show, one program that some of you are familiar with that comes to my mind when I think of predictability is the show Roadrunner. How many of you remember Roadrunner? I need to see if you know what I'm talking about here. Okay, most of you. All the young folks don't know what Roadrunner is. Do you guys know what Roadrunner is? Okay, all right, very good. With Roadrunner, there was pretty much the same theme that took place in every cartoon, every time. Who was the villain of Roadrunner? It was Wile E. Coyote, And what was he trying to do? He was trying to catch the roadrunner. And I want you to shake your heads yes or no. Did the wily coyote ever get to catch the roadrunner? Shake your heads yes or no. 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 He never caught him. Never a change in the script. Never a switch that the the writers and the producers were saying, you know what, this week, let's have it a little bit different. Wily coyote never once caught that roadrunner. We might say that the coyote was constantly acting an exercise in futility. I'm using that phrase for our purposes today. In Romans chapter 8, we're going to see someone who is acting constantly in an exercise of futility. It is for no good, really. And yet he still does it. We're going to see why he does that. In each believer's life, we have a path that is planned for us. And in our path, there will be landmines that the devil is planting. And the purpose of these landmines is to put landmines of doubt in your mind 
to convince you of one main thing. The devil wants to convince you that you are not loved by God. Or at least that the love that God has for you is conditional. You've got to do something in order for that love to be the same. Or if you do the wrong thing, that love for you will change in some way. And so we see that the devil is planting these doubts in our mind. And what we'll see beautifully in Romans chapter 8 is that because of the work of Christ on the cross, we are secure in the Father. We are approved by the Father. And we are recipients of a love that no one and nothing can ever change. All that to bring us to Romans chapter 8. Are you there? And let me just start out by saying this. Boy, am I glad for Romans chapter 8. I have said that several times this week. And as we go through some of these verses that are familiar to us, and as you see the incredible, awesome power of our God and how it's demonstrated here in Romans 8, I trust that you'll say, boy, am I glad for Romans chapter 8. Two different things we're going to talk about today. The first one we're going to spend the vast majority of our time on. The first one is the enemy's accusations. And then very quickly at the end, we're going to see what Paul writes about the Savior's justification. If you're taking notes, let me go ahead and give you one of two points to write down along with me. Number one, there is no accusation that can stick to me. For the one who has been born again, you call yourself a child of God, there is no accusation that can stick to you. Look at verse 31 of Romans chapter 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? This almost feels anticlimactic to me. It feels like this is kind of the, the trump card to use. This is the huge foundational truth right here. If God is for us, who can be against us? It's almost as if we can just close our Bible right now and go home because that's enough. This is a huge foundational truth that we have to be planting in our minds daily to help us along the way. But as we'll see, the Apostle Paul starts with this very important doctrine. And then Paul, he puts on the pastor hat. Because Paul understands that these believers in Rome are going to be attacked in certain ways. He knows specifically what some of them, as they're reading this for the first time, have been through. And so he not only says, if God is for us, who can be against us? He's going to go into some detail. He's going to list some things that would be devastating to some people. And yet he's going to pull us into this idea that all of those horrible things, not even they, can separate us from God's love. When we look at questions asked about God, there are a variety of them. I suspect several of you have asked questions about God. Maybe you asked them directly to God. There was a survey done not too long ago about the most asked questions about God on the Google search engine. What are the top questions that get asked about God? I'm going to give you the results of the top 
top three questions that got asked, that get asked by people typing it in. I don't think the first two will surprise you, but you might be shocked by the third response. The number one most asked question about God in the Google search engine was, who created God? It's pretty common. I can understand a lot of people typing that question in. The number two question is no surprise also. The number two question is, why does God allow evil? It's tied to the question, why is there suffering? Especially for God's children, why is there suffering? I think I probably could have guessed both of those first two. The third one surprised me. The third most typed in question in the Google search engine about God, search engine about God is, why does God hate me? Number three. Why does God hate me? For those of us who have experienced the love of God and the love of Jesus Christ, we understand the great lengths that he went through because he loves us. And yet, according to this research, we see that there are many, many people who think that God hates them. People will develop different pictures of God in their mind. People who don't know the God of the Bible, they've never been experienced or exposed to Jesus Christ, they're left on their own to figure out what God is like. Some people want to connect God to Santa Claus. It's kind of like Santa Claus, right? Remember that song? He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows when you've been bad or good. He's got a list He's checking it twice to find out who's naughty and nice. If you've been part of our study in the book of Romans already, you already understand that God God knows you're naughty. He does. He knows that you and I, deep down, have a sinful nature. And that was the reason why Jesus Christ had to come. In the next verse, we see not only that God loves us, this incredible truth that if God is for us, who can be against us? But then in verse 32, he gives the proof. The proof that only God can give. The ultimate proof for why God's love will never go away if you are his son or his daughter. Look at verse 32. He who, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give him All things. It's a beautiful picture here that we learn. We see that God paid the ultimate price by giving His Son, Jesus Christ, to come down to this earth, to walk in human flesh, and to ultimately die for the sins of the world. And if God is willing to pay that price, what's too big for Him to give beyond that? He's already given the most valuable thing that there is. And yet sometimes we think, even if we've experienced the grace of God becoming a believer, we think that God won't go any further. God will stop. And the reason we think that is because we take our focus off of God and we put our focus on our own self, or better, our own worth. That's where we go wrong. We put our focus in the wrong place. This might be a surprise for some of you. 
when God saved you, he knew you were going to be messy. He knew that you and I were going to fail and we're going to stumble and we're going to fall and we're going to break our promises. God knew you were going to be messy. And that's why it is a beautiful truth that when we study the doctrine of salvation that you and I cannot sin our way out of God's love. You simply can't do it. Naturally, the Apostle Paul is not giving license to sin here. That's not what he's saying. Instead, he is pointing us to the love of God the Father. And in that, and in my head, I have a conversation that took place so long ago between the Father and the Son. They looked at the world and looked at the sin. And in my mind, I can hear the Son saying, Father, may I? And the Father says, yes, Son, you may. And He comes down to this world and He humbles Himself. And Jesus Christ died for the world, the the sins of the world. Let me illustrate. We have a fantastic example of this in the Old Testament with the patriarch Abraham. Most of us are familiar with Abraham and what he went through. Uh, We can study his life and be encouraged by it. I wonder if many of you are familiar with one of the most devastating days in the life of Abraham. It was a day when he had a young son named Isaac. We find the account of this in Genesis 22. God spoke to Abraham one day and he said, I want you to take that son, that son that you prayed for, that son that I have promised is going to be the answer to help solve the problems of the world through a savior coming someday. I want you to take your beloved son Isaac and I want you to take him. I'm going to show you where to go and I want you to place him on the altar and I want you to sacrifice your son to me. There are so many places that my emotions go when I read that story. Abraham was obedient. He took his son and they went to the place where God showed them. He went all the way through everything that could be done up until the end. He placed his son on that altar. He raised the knife. And then who spoke? God spoke. Abraham, you don't have to do it. You don't have to sacrifice your son. Abraham's faith was being tested. And Abraham proved his faith by being willing to offer his son as a sacrifice. In Romans chapter 8, we see that God proved his love by allowing his son to be sacrificed. A love that nothing can come against. And so if God gave the greatest and most valuable gift to save you, then what makes you think He's going to hold something back in your life in order for you to have victory? For you to be more than a conqueror? What's God going to hold back? And the answer is nothing. That's what we find there in verse 32. Let me illustrate further. I want you to imagine that um, this week I decide to go down the street to the jewelry store. I'm going in the jewelry store to browse for a gift for my wife. 
And as I walk in the jewelry store, the guy looks at me and his eyes get kind of big. And he looks over at me and he says, hey, are you Jeremy? And I said, well, yes, I am Jeremy. And he says, well, Jeremy, boy, have I got something special for you. This is a wonderful day for you. Because Jeremy, I want you to go through the store and I want you to pick out anything in this store that you want and I will give it to you for free. No strings attached. Anything you want. Now, being the wise husband that I am, I would call my wife and have her come down to the store so she could walk through and she could pick out the most wonderful thing that she liked in the store. Let's say, by coincidence, that what she picked out in the store was the most expensive thing. The most valuable item in the jewelry store. And I'm kind of waiting the whole time for him to, you know, give me the catch or, you know, wonder what's going to happen here. But he goes all the way up to the end to the point where we have that piece of jewelry and he hands it across and gives it to me. How wonderful. How exciting. Now I'm holding this expensive piece of jewelry. And I think to myself, there's got to be a box that this thing comes in. And so I asked the guy, hey, is there a box this comes in? And he pauses and he says, well, yeah, but those boxes are, they're kind of expensive. Those boxes, they're, they're about eight bucks each for those boxes. I'm not sure if I can give you one of those. And then let's say that we look at the maintenance of it and there's a shine kit. We see him over on the side there. Hey, the shine kit there, would it be too much to ask for one of those shine kits to keep this most valuable gem looking beautiful? And he would stop and look down and say, shine kit, we pay about $3.50 for those shine kits actually, so I'm not sure if that's going to work out. I'm getting kind of confused. And I'm walking out the door and I say, hey, can I have a bag to carry this in? Some kind of a bag. You can even advertise on the bag your store if you want. That'll be 50 cents for the bag. Now, of course, this is a silly story. If somebody just gave me the most expensive thing they had in their store, worth thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars with no strings attached, do you think he's going to hesitate to give me a box or a shine kit or a bag? This is the picture in verse 32 of Romans 8. If God gave his son for you to have eternal life, what makes you think as you are on your journey in this world that he will not give you everything that you need to have success along the journey? Let's go ahead and go to verses 33 and 34. It asks some questions here. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect. It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who is, look at that, in, who in, indeed is interceding for us? We find there what Jesus Christ is doing on this very day. Those words there in verse 33 bring any charge. That is a legal accusation. Someone is bringing an accusation. Let me ask you this question. Who among anybody else do you think is standing before God accusing his sons and his daughters saying they are not worthy. Who do you think above anybody else is doing that this very day? And it is Satan. 
The devil is our chief accuser. The word devil actually means slanderer. This is what he is busy doing. Now, do you remember my opening illustration about the wily coyotes exercise in futility? Remember that? He never got the roadrunner. It just was not in the script. He wasn't going to do it. From what we know from Romans 8.31, what can separate you from God's love? Nothing. From what we know from this verse, every time the devil would accuse us, is God ever going to say, when he speaks about your sin, is God ever going to say, well, you got kind of a point there. He's messed up about 25 times. Never. It will always fall on deaf ears. God will never receive an accusation against you. We find a great illustration of this in the book of Job. When you study Job, it's a, it's a long book about suffering and pain. And I'm convinced that in the first two chapters of the book of Job, it is about spiritual warfare. Do you remember how it starts out? Who's having the conversation back and forth? It is God and it is the devil. The slanderer. Your chief accuser. And as they're talking back and forth, it sets up the rest of the book of Job. But let's go ahead and fast forward past that part. Because we know the devil's going to accuse us. If we get past that scene, we come to the scene in the book of Job where Job's three friends come in. And as the friends come in, they are there. And can anybody remember the interaction that took place between Job's friends and Job? What, what they actually did to help give comfort they accused him of sin each one of them came and said this is because of your sin that's why you're suffering that's why your children died that's why you've suffered so much loss and are now physically going through so much it's because of your sin and we look at it with 2020 vision with hindsight and we know that it wasn't because of his sin and all three of them stood there and made him more miserable because they said, you have sin in your life. Now, let me ask this question. Don't answer too quickly. It's not a trick question, but I don't want you to shout out the wrong answer. So don't shout anything out. Is there anything in your life and in my life that the devil might observe and might stand before God and make an accusation about? I would submit to you on, for my own testimony that the answer is yes. You bet. There are plenty of things that I have done that I regret. Even things this past week where I fell short. In fact, if I was talking to the devil about this and he was accusing me and I heard those, I'd probably have to shake my head and say, yeah, did that. Eee, wow, you saw that? Oh. In fact, I might have to say, you know what, Satan? You don't know the half of it. It's a bad dude. And yet, God will never receive any accusation for the one who has been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so with this phrase, an exercise in futility, why does the devil keep doing this? Why is it that the fiery dart of doubt 
the devil will use again and again. If God's never going to hear it, he's never going to change his mind about it, why does the devil keep using this um, tool of accusation? And the reason is because even though God won't hear it, are you ready? Sometimes you and I hear it. The devil reminding you of what you have done Reminding you of your lack of worth. The countless broken promises to God the Father. And we need to have the same understanding that God has. God's love is not going to continue because of our fruitfulness, because of our usefulness, and not because we were a good enough person. God's love for us is based on the work of of the cross of Jesus Christ. And yet so many of us buy into this doubt. We doubt God's love. He doesn't love me as much today as much today because of what I have done. We don't have time to turn there right now, but I know some of you like to do some study um, afterwards. And so write down the reference Zechariah 3 verses 1 through 5. This would be a great thing for you to go and read later on today or maybe tomorrow morning. Zechariah chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Let me give you the picture of what this is. And the reason is, is because some of you need to insert yourself into this picture. It's um, In Zechariah, there are some visions that are taking place uh, with the prophet Zechariah. And as there's a vision taking place. There's one very colorful one in those first five verses of chapter three where we find the high priest Joshua standing before God and then we find our accuser, the devil. And the devil is standing there and he's looking at Joshua and what stands out to him is Joshua's garments. Joshua's garments were filthy. They were disgusting. And the devil is going to come to God in that vision and say, this is the best that you've got? This is the high priest Joshua? This guy with the filthy garments representing how sinful he was, how far away from God he would be? And beautifully, at that point, God says, go and give Joshua new clothes. Give him clothes that are spotless and perfect. Replace the old ones with these. Some of you need to insert yourself into that picture when you are reminded of your sin. When you know how short you've fallen, remind yourself that God has given you, as God sees you, you are spotless, not because of how you conduct yourself, but because of the work on the cross. And look at the fullness of it here. I love that the Trinity sneaks its way into Romans chapter 8. For those of you who've been part of our study, who is the, he- you listening? Who is the hero of Romans chapter 8? It is the Holy Spirit. If we back up to verse 26, we find that the Holy Spirit is for you, praying for you. And then in verse 31, we find that the Father is involved and is for you. And then in verse 34, the Son is for you. And so what we see here is the Trinity involved in making you and me more than conquerors. The devil constantly accusing God's children. 
But even more, listen to this, even more than the devil hates you, God loves you. The devil will constantly be accusing and placing accusations and saying, God, they're not worth it. And then he'll bring those things to your mind. And even though there are so many horrible accusations from Satan himself, God loves us more. And for every accusation, we look at the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus has been through hell and back for you. And what he wants you to do is seek first the kingdom of God. And then all these things will be added to you. All what things? All the things that you need to have victory. He gave you his son. Now he's going to give you everything else you need to have a wonderful life following him. Not about you, but about God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then he's going to bring along everything that you need. All right, point number one, there is no accusation that can stick. Point number two, and much more quickly, there is nothing I can face that will separate me from God's love. I'm not going to give a lot of of commentary on this. In fact, I don't think I need to give a lot of commentary on this. I will say this. I mentioned earlier that Paul puts on his pastor hat. Paul understands these people He can give them that doctrinal truth that nothing can separate us from God's love. But they had been through specific challenges. These believers in Rome had been through stuff that nobody should have to go through. And many of those things would be the fuel for the doubt. And so Paul, as a loving pastor, now says, a list of things. Look at verses 35 to 39 with me. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, not anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God In Christ Jesus our Lord. And all God's people said, Amen to that. And I know full well that as exhaustive as this list is and how many things it it goes through here, I know full well that possibly you could take something that the devil has used to make you doubt God's love and you could add it right on the end of this here. Feel free to write that in the margin of your Bible. Wherever the devil attacks you. But always finish the verse. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. He quotes from Psalm 44 right in the middle there. Maybe you saw a section that kind of stood out or in your Bible it's in a different font. Because even in the Old Testament there was never a promise that we were going to have an easy, smooth life. 
Did you see how colorful the words were there? For as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. We know that we are going to face hard times. And even though each one of these can cause us to doubt, listen to this final point I'm going to make. The doubt that might plague you in your life or the doubt that you've experienced that might be in this list here. Every one of those doubts has to travel down a road. And if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, that road is guarded by grace. Anything the devil would tell you to get you to doubt God's love for you, it has to run through that road of God's grace. And God's grace says, I know, uh, makes us say, I know I am not worthy, but Jesus Christ was worthy. And he died for me. And he conquered the grave for me. And today he is standing, or he's seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for me. And this causes me to say one last time, boy, am I glad for Romans chapter 8. Nothing that I do or that you do, or that our deepest enemy can do, can separate us from God's love. Of course, this only comes for those who know Jesus Christ as their Savior. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. If you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior today, you've not been born again, This is what we call being a Christian. This is a wonderful opportunity, and maybe today's the first time that the Holy Spirit's been talking to you about this. It doesn't mean you won't have problems. It doesn't mean you're not going to mess up. But what it does mean is that you have someone who paid the price in the past for your sins if you accept Him as Savior, and someone interceding day by day and hour by hour. What can we do with this? It's fairly obvious. Expect Satan's fiery darts of doubts to come. Expect them. They're going to come. He's been around for a long time. He's been paying attention to human beings. He knows Christians. He knows where they're weak. And he's going to try everything as long as you're here on this earth to get you to doubt God's love. So expect those fiery darts and then combat them by keeping your view not on your worth, but on Jesus' work on the cross. This is where we need to point the devil to. And so if the devil tries to remind you of your past, you need to remind him of his future and take him to the cross of Jesus Christ, where if you're a follower of Jesus today, that is the place where your sins were taken care of. We are more than conquerors, not because of our effort, our abilities, but because we have one who loves us and gave his life for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we look to you as unworthy sons and daughters, we thank you for the fact that you accept us. We thank you for being so generous and so loving to give Jesus Christ to die on a cross for our sins 
And we thank you that he's active and working even today so that we can, in this present world, have what is needed to be more than conquerors. Thank you that you did not hold your son back. And thank you that there is nothing that you will hold back for us to have victory. We praise you for this. With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, I want to give you a chance to pray. A couple of topics that I'll suggest for for prayer today. One of them might be that doubt that came to your mind. What is it that the devil brings to your mind that makes you doubt God's love because you fall short? Maybe you need to talk to God about that. Tell him you're going to be in agreement with him about what happened to those sins. Maybe you're here today And this idea of being born again or accepting Christ is new to you. Even in the quietness of the moment, you can pray to God and say, God, I'm not exactly sure what all this is about, but something within me is being drawn to you. You can thank God for Jesus Christ dying on the cross for your sins and ask God to forgive you of your sins and to make you his daughter or his son. Take a moment to pray.